You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Thank you guys for coming here. It's a big crowd this morning to hear me speak. I appreciate it. No, just kidding. Um, we're kind of wrapping up this theme in the next week or two, this theme we've been talking about over the past several weeks, this theme of, um, there it is, Beyond Us. And... Um, we're moving into a new theme in, in July, and I wanted to kind of share with you guys some of the, some of the titles of the new the talks. Basically, you know, Annalie's been gone about a month or so, and so we've decided to kind of have a, a new theme next month of reflections on sabbatical. And uh, the staff's going to be sharing a few of the thoughts. You know, it's been hard for them. So a lot of them have some, you know, more responsibilities since he's been gone. So I wanted to share a couple titles with you guys, some of the staff came up with for next month's theme, Reflection on Sabbaticals. Okay, here it is. First one. Sabbatical. When you're too young to retire and you've used all your vacation time up. <laughs> so that's it's a, little, a little raw. I mean, they're, they're, it's been hard for some of them. Sabbatical. When you refuse to find a real job, so better milk the ministry for all it's worth. <laughs> Sabbatical. It's about time for the elders to step up and start doing something around here. That was one of the staff, not the elders that, that came up with that. I was one of the staff, I think. Sabbatical. It's about time for the staff to step up and start doing something around here. That was one of the... That was Eddie. Ed knew was that. That was Ed's, Ed's talk will be coming up. Uh, sabbatical. Thank you for your prayers while I sleep, fish, hike, read, sleep, brew beer, drink beer, surf, sail, play in a rock band, and travel the world, all for the glory of God. That's, that's all true, folks. It's all true. For God's glory. And lastly, sabbatical, this is the most important one. Whatever it takes to reach the top 10,000 world ranking in CrossFit. Because Anlia, you know, he ranks himself with uh, online ranking and he was 15,000. So he's really praying and, and seeking the Lord about 10,000. And when that happens, nirvana, it's going to be amazing. Anyway, just, just joking. I, I didn't get those from the staff. Those are all from Laura Fowler, actually. No. Anyway, um, this morning I'm talking about uh, kind of this, again, this theme beyond us. When I was in um, graduate school, I was, uh, about 10 years ago, it was when the time of the, um, the trilogy, Lord of the Rings, started coming out, and I had never read the books, and I really, um, I wanted to read them and just kind of get some ideas and get some information about what they were. And I got kind of just, in, you know, just mesmerized and kind of addicted to this, this trilogy. I read the, the three books, like, I think eight times in a period of three years. I had the CDs and everything. I drove, I drove you know, back home from Boston. I listened to the CDs. And I got totally into the into this, this story of Middle Earth and Tolkien. And I, I read all the other books, the Cimmerillion and all the other books about Lord of the Rings. And I kind of just escaped from graduate school into these, into these stories. I really couldn't stomach graduate school very well. And it was an escape. It was honestly an escape. And um, I remember at the same time, my roommate at seminary, or at grad school, which was seminary, I don't want to say that, but yeah. Anyway, it was a seminary, and my, my roommate was there, and he got addicted to video games. He was, you know, he was a gamer, and he got in, involved in these uh, online role-playing games. He got into EverQuest, and he played 15, 14 hours a day, and he lost his uh, scholarship. He, he had to drop out of school, and it was just terrible. And I remember watching him and watching me, and I was like thinking, what is, what is going on here? But as I look back, I realized that you know, we wanted to be part of something. There's this, this theme that I think all of us have in our lives, that we want to be part of a story. We want to feel like we, obviously, we matter and that we have something to offer. And so these video games provided something, this escape for him to 
be part of this greater story and to, you know, whatever, whatever the game's about, I don't even know. But, but he, he got totally addicted and totally into these games. And many of us play video games for that reason. It's an, it's an escape. It's a relaxing thing. And for me, I was escaping to Middle Earth, and I was, you know, Frodo, and, and looking, at all the, looking at all the different characters and, and, and watching this story unfold, because we desire to be part of something greater than ourselves. It's totally put in us by the Lord. And the truth of the matter is, we are involved in a story, and our lives are part of something greater that's unfolding right now in history. And... We're part of the story of the kingdom of God. It's unfolding on earth, and whether or not we realize it or feel like it, we are part of the story as Christians. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are involved, and we have a role to play in the story. And I want to say that from the outset, every single person here, every single person here matters. That you have something to offer, whether you feel like you're a, a, a confident person or not a confident person, you're not like Antley or, or one of the worship leaders, it doesn't matter. Every single person here has a part to play in the kingdom of God. And your talents, abilities, resources, gifts, passions, dreams, all of it, all of it is to be used for that. And, and I know some of you may, may not feel that. And the degree, and the degree to which we disconnect from that reality, the, to dis, that we disconnect from the truth of this story, we define ourselves by a lesser story, the story that we're in. We define ourselves by the world standards. We define ourselves by our paychecks and by our house and by our vacations and by our kids and what they achieve or whatever. And we get bound into a lesser story. Our stories are important. There's no no doubt that our lives and our jobs and our vacation and our houses and our passions, those are hugely important. But when we define ourselves, when we live for those things, we lose the connection to God's greater story that he wants to, to, to draw us into. So the story began 2,000 years ago. We're not going to go through the whole thing, obviously. It began in a garden with two people who fell, and a rebellion occurred, and a battle ensued, and that battle has, yeah, several thousand years ago, whatever happened, the garden. And now, thousands of years later, it'll, it'll culminate with Jesus Christ returning. And it'll end with a new garden, a new heaven, and a new earth. And many of us don't think about this. Many of us don't, I mean, I don't think about it very often. It's not something I just think about. I don't, what is it going to be like when Jesus returns? What's the new heaven and new earth going to look like? But it's real. It's, we really are part of this. It's really going somewhere. Romans, or I'm sorry, Revelation 21.1 says, this is how it ends. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. That's, that's where it's all going. You know, we, we think of heaven sometimes as like this place where we're going to have wings and play a harp in a bunch of clouds, and it's like so ridiculous. Like, we, who wants to think about that? Who wants to think about where we're going? But this is the reality. There's going to be a new earth There's going to be a new heaven, new earth brought together into one. We're going to dwell with God. We're going to have jobs. We're going to have responsibilities. We're going to have roles. No sin, no pain, no suffering. And we're going to literally live with God in our presence for eternity. Unbelievable. And how we live out the story that we're in right now, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, whatever you're destined for, whatever that that looks like, how we live out that story right now, this is going to be shocking. It determines 
our role in the age to come. It determines what happens in the age to come in our, in our responsibilities, our rewards, and our role. I'm going to get to that in just a second. Let me say this first, because we are saved completely, totally by grace. That needs to be said from the outset, because what I'm talking about today can come across as a little, a little harsh. It can come across as he wants us to do things for God, and he wants us to work, and wants us to serve, and wants us to obey. But it all begins with grace. We are approved, we are accepted, we are loved solely, completely by the grace of Jesus Christ, by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we are saved by grace. But we're, we're not just saved so that we can get healed and forgiven and set free from this and, and made happy and joyful. That's all part of it, for sure. But we're saved from something for something. That make sense? We're saved from something for something. And that something is the de- destiny God has in your life, the plans that God has in your life. Ephesians 2.10, if you have that verse up there, says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What an amazing, what an amazing reality. Before you were born, before you came into existence, God saw you and has prepared, actually prepared events in your life that you could if you agree to, if you decide to, walk in those things. And they're divine appointments. They're divine moments. They're, they're things that God has prepared beforehand. They're not going to happen because of fatalism. They're not going to happen just because it's going to happen. They're going to happen because you agree to agree with God. And you agree to be a co-laborer with Him. And in my life, I have not done that many times. I have disagreed with God because, because the cost was too much or because the, the risk was too much. I remember several, several years ago at a church in Virginia I was a part of, the pastor asked me to, to lead this ministry, and I just, I just didn't want to do it. I mean, I knew that, that, uh, that my gifts were sufficient for it. I didn't feel like I was, you know, not able to, but I just simply didn't want to spend the time to do it. I just decided not to. And I remember praying about it and, and feeling God saying, this is what I want you to do. I've prepared this for you to do. I've prepared this for you to do. And I didn't do it. And, and I rebelled and I didn't do it. And I, and I believe that I forfeited something. I forfeited something in, in, in not doing that. Not my salvation, not, my lo- not God's love for me, but I forfeited the blessings I would have seen by doing it in other people's lives. I forfeited the rewards I would have experienced by doing it in this life and in the next. So what does that mean? I mean, it's not like... It's not like we're living for the rewards, but it's a reality. When I was looking at the scriptures that deal with this idea of God rewarding us, they're everywhere. I mean, there's like 30 different scriptures. I just picked out about four or five. But they're all over, all over the Old and New Testaments that God cares about what we do. He cares about our lives. He cares about us as partners. He's looking for partners. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us as his children. And he chooses to use the talents, the resources, the abilities, the passions that we have to advance his kingdom. It begins with grace. We're approved, but grace leads somewhere. So we're saved by grace, but we're saved for works. Dare I say works, but we're saved for service unto God. And here are just a few verses. Matthew 16, 27. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. 2 Corinthians five ten. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Romans 2.6, God will repay each person according to what they have done. 
In Ephesians 6, 8, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. So there's this theme that God calls us into a story. He gives us opportunities. He prepares works in advance for us. And we can choose to walk in those things or not. And and what we do determines, however that looks like, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it determines something eternally. Not whether or not we're loved or saved or whatever. We are in by grace, completely, solely by grace. So let me, let me go back to something real fast. I spoke a few months ago on this idea of um, intimacy. We're talking about intimacy. It all begins in intimacy. Intimacy is the key to our, the Christian life, that we spend time with the Lord. And I talked about how as we gaze on Jesus, as we look at Jesus, as we spend time looking at him, we become more like him. It's a beholding, becoming principle. What we behold, we become. So as we look at Jesus in intimacy, it leads us somewhere. We don't just legalistically or religiously do good things to get rewards to prove that we're Christians or to prove that we love God or or try to earn his love. We're not striving. It comes out of the place of beholding, becoming. As we behold Jesus, as we fall in love with Jesus, we become like Jesus. And becoming like Jesus looks like certain things. And it's different for everybody. But as we become more like him, we serve, we forgive, we surrender, we tithe, we give, so on and so forth. And we look more like him. But it, it leads to something. Does it make sense? It leads somewhere. So we have approval, and out of that approval, we live for God. <clears throat> God desires partnership. God desires all of our lives to be surrendered unto him. This is a hard, a hard teaching. I really, I really battle this. I feel like there are certain things as an American that I'm entitled to. I don't need to ask for God's, you know, approval or ask for God's thoughts or what he thinks of what I'm going to do. I remember several years ago, seven years ago, actually, I bought a house in Virginia. And uh, I was living up there, and I just, I, I thought it was, I was entitled, entitled to a house. I mean, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't ever bought a house before, and I was like, I'm, I'm buying a house, and my friends are like, the market's, the market's going crazy up here, and we're, you know, we're living in the, belt, you know, in, the, in the Northern Virginia area, and the market's going crazy, 25% profit a year, just buy this house, you know. And as you know, you know I bought the house, and I remember as I, was, as I was signing the contract and then getting the appraisal done and the inspection done, I got sicker and sicker. I felt like, something's not right with this. I feel, I feel uneasy about this. And I got, like, nauseous. I'm thinking, maybe it's probably I'm spending so much money and committing all these years of my life to this mortgage or something. And I went to closing, and I was, I was like literally trembling. I'm on the side of the paperwork. I'm like, what am I doing? I, I, I don't feel peace about this at all. But I hadn't prayed about it. I hadn't, I hadn't sought the Lord about it. Signed the contract and bought the house, and you know the history. Six months later, seven months later, the market begins to, to tumble. The house is $100,000 upside down now. Last month, I had a sewage backup, destroyed the whole downstairs. The house has been a headache, a nightmare, really, since I bought it seven years ago. I mean, I lived there. It was, you know, whatever, whatever. But the reality is God wanted me to spare, to spare me at that event. He wanted me to seek him with my resources, with this money. And he, was gonna, he wanted to tell me, don't do it. And I know it looks good. I mean, it looks right. Everyone else is doing it. Your friends are telling you they're making all this money buying and selling houses because it's, it's, a, it's a hot market. But God was like, will you surrender this to me? Will you surrender this to me? And I was like, no, I mean, I'm entitled to this. This is, this is my money. I earned it. I'm doing it. And now, now I'm paying the price for it. And that's, that's, it's a simple reality. But, but the Lord desires all of our lives. It's not like we have this separation between 
the two hours on Sunday that we're here and what we do Monday through Friday, all of it, all of it, the Lord desires to be the Lord of in our lives. And it's not like he's up there dictating as, a, as, a, as this drill sergeant. Like, I feel like we have this idea sometimes. I know I do that. He, he doesn't really want what's best for me. He wants to, to rob me of pleasure. He wants to rob me of my desires because I don't trust him. It really comes down to trust. Do you trust him? Do I trust him? Like, can I say to him, God, I trust you with my money. God is a better investor than you. He's a better investor than me. Do I trust you with my job? Do I need to take a job because I'm getting a promotion or another a higher salary and move my family across country? God is a better leader. He's an infinitely better leader than we are. He's an infinitely better master. He's an infinitely better thinker. He's an infinitely better whatever the, whatever the situation, a parent or friend. He's better than we can be. And we are invited into the story. And he says, will you surrender. Will you surrender these dreams for my dreams? Will you give it all to me? And it's hard. It's not easy. Romans 12, 1, this really is the theme of the whole talk. This is a common scripture we've all read probably. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's just stop there for a second. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that Jesus Christ has done, in view of the grace of God, in view of his choosing you, in view of his dying for you, in view of everything he's done, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is real worship. This is, this is more than just singing. This is more than just emotion. It's, it's a lifestyle. And those two words, living sacrifices, I heard a message last week at a conference that was just on those two words. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing idea that Paul is using here because he's saying a normal sacrifice is done and it's dead. You sacrifice an animal, you sacrifice whatever it is, and it's dead. And that's it. But Paul is saying, no, I, I'm calling you to be living sacrifices. I'm calling you to a lifestyle of daily living. That's a, it's an it's a active, continuous tense, basically. It, it doesn't end. It's constantly happening. So every day we put ourselves, in a sense, on an altar and we say, God, I, I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice. My money, my resources, my time, how, how I'm going to serve the church, how I'm going to do this with my family. I offer myself as a living sacrifice. And then I do it again tomorrow. And we, we do it imperfectly, but we do it because it's a response to God. It's a response to his love for us. Again, we're not earning anything. We're not trying to, as far as, we're not earning his love. We're not earning his approval. We're not earning his favor. We already are in but we're offering ourselves as living sacrifices. And that looks like something practically, and it looks different for each person here. This is very important because your calling and your destiny is different than mine. You may be called India, and I'm not. Sorry. But, but the reality is we are called individually to be accountable to what God has called us to. And, he, and, and God puts things in our path, people, relationships, opportunities to serve, and we can choose to respond or not as living sacrifices. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you can test and approve God's will, his perfect, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there's the, there's the bat, that's the battle, is do we conform to what we think we're entitled to? Do we conform to what the world says is normal, is expected? You buy this house, you buy a bigger one, so on and so forth. We don't need to go through all the scenario. But the reality is God is saying, don't be conformed. I, I'm not against houses. I'm not against vacations. I'm not against you being successful. I'm for you trusting me, though. I'm for you living 
in my provision. I'm for you believing that my scenario, this is crazy, my scenario is better than yours. My plan is better than yours. And I understand many of us have heard, heard a talk like this, some of us have heard a talk like this, and you're, I would say, hurt by it. As I was praying about this talk, I thought about, there are probably many people in this audience who've heard messages like, you go and serve the Lord and God's going to do great things. And you've surrendered things and you've gone and served and you were burned out. And you, you went and served and you, were, you, you didn't get what you thought was going to happen. You were hurt. And, and I understand there are probably, I know there are many people in this audience who hear a talk like this about works and they go, oh, I don't want to, just, can't we just do the intimacy thing? I, the works thing is like, I've heard that before. I've been burned out by this kind of stuff. It's legalism. It's religion. It's striving. And I, say, I want to say that God can heal that. I mean, God wants to heal those wounds because he's a father who loves you and he approves of you in grace, but he does call you to something greater. He does call you to a lifestyle of obedience and surrender. That's holiness. And, and it's, it's beautiful. It really is. I mean, it, it's, it's, it sounds trivial. I mean, that sounds so stupid to say, there's no better place to be than God's will. You know, it's like, you've heard that before. It's such a cheesy Christianese thing, but it's really true. When you, when you feel like you're, you're living what you were called to live, when you feel like you're doing what you were made for, it's, un, it's an amazing feeling. It really is. It's like, this is why I'm, I'm here. You know, just, this, is not part, this wasn't part of my talk, but even me speaking today, I, I, I didn't speak for a long time because I, I thought I was disqualified for a number of reasons. And even as I'm up here speaking, I'm like, I feel God's approval of me sitting up here talking because I know he's made me a preacher, a speaker. I mean, I know he has. And I, for seven, eight years, never, never spoke. And I thought, I'm disqualified. I'm disqualified. And this is totally not part of my talk, but I just like, the Lord wants me to share that. God redeems us. God makes the, the failures of our lives, the, the testimonies and the, and the successes of him. And, and he can look at you right now, and, and wherever, wherever you fail, wherever you've been broken or wounded or abused or deceived, he can redeem that, even, even today. So I want to say that. It's, it's, it's affection-based obedience versus duty-based obedience. We've all heard religious talks about doing what's right. But this is affection-based obedience. My response to God. I want to do this real fast. This is not part of my talk either, but I, I just feel like I needed this. This is my son, and uh, he's sleeping. But he's five months old yesterday, and I just totally feel like I need to do this. Okay, this is my, this is my little boy, Jonah. This is the shame, shameless plug to get some emotional. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so this is him. This is my boy, and I approve of him. I approve, before he's done anything for me, before he's done anything to, to obey me or anything, I approve of this little guy. I love him, and I want him to be secure. I want him to be aware that he's loved by his father. And out of that little place of security, he would obey. He would serve, not, not me, but he would serve the Lord. He would feel secure in his father's love. It's affection-based obedience, not duty-based obedience. So this little guy is going to love the Lord and he's going to serve him because he, he knows that Father loves him on earth. I just felt like doing that. It's weird. It was like a theme this morning of, of kids and I thought, I, I, thought, I thought I'd add my own two cents there. Um, God is looking... That's, that's the idea. That's the idea. I'll say it again. A lover, another way of saying it, a lover will always outwork a worker. That's Mike Bickle. A lover will always outwork a worker. It happens in life. It happens even at a job. 
A person who loves their job versus a workaholic who can't stand working there, the person who loves their job, when it gets hard, will, will push through it because they know it's their, their passion. When you know you're loved by God, when he knows, my son knows he's loved, he will push through things that he doesn't like. He'll push through things that are hard. A lover will always outwork a worker. And so God is calling us to works, but it's based in love. It's based in affection. It's based in his approval. But he is calling us, and he's prepared things for us, and he expects us to listen, and he rewards us for doing so. Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Elliott, many of you heard the story. Many of you heard of these people. They were, they were missionaries in the 50s to um, Ecuador. They were missionaries to a, a tribe, a remote tribe of Indians in Ecuador. They uh, graduated from Wheaton Seminary, Wheaton's College, I think, in the 50s, and they were these young 20-year-olds, and they decided to go to a totally unreached people group in Ecuador. And if you saw the movie six or seven years ago, you know, you know what happens. Basically, they went down there and began making contact with these unreached peoples, these, these Indians that were there, never heard the gospel, never knew anything about Jesus. And Jim was with some of his uh, co-worker missionary guys. They were there, and they had scheduled a meeting to meet with like, the tribal leader, and the tribal leader, unbeknownst to them, had said, these white men have come, and they're coming to, to kill our tribe. So they had, they had gathered together for like one of their first meetings, and they'd been there about two years, and they finally made contact with these Indians, and the Indians killed them. All five of the men. They speared them, and they killed the five men. And Jim, Jim, Jim Elliott died. But his wife was still back at the camp or whatever. And everyone said, you need to leave. You should leave and just quit this. This is ridiculous. This is, you know, you've, you've sacrificed your husband, and she stayed. She stayed for 10 more years, and she worked with these, these, these Indians, and hundreds of them came to Christ. The, the very ones, some of the very ones that killed her husband and her friends became Christians. It's an amazing story of being a living sacrifice. It's an amazing story of laying down your life literally for Jesus Christ. And Jim was famous for saying this one line, and I, I, I love this line. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives the things he cannot keep anyway to gain the things he cannot lose. It's an amazing idea that we, we can't keep it, keep it anyway, folks. We can't, we're not going to take it with us. We can surrender it all to the Lord. And what we gain, we, we will never lose. We cannot give God. He's given it all. You cannot give him. He's done it all. And to sum it up, just, he's worth it. He really is worth it. The Lord is worth our obedience. He's worth our love. He's worth our affection. He's worth it all. And the lamb is worthy of the reward for his suffering. And that's, that's really what God has put on my heart this morning. So let's stand together. And just I want to just be quiet for a second and... and the Lord may want to put something, put something in your heart. He may be speaking to you about something in your life. You know, there's no pressure. You're not going to walk outside and have a sign-up sheet for the youth group or something. You know, the Lord wants to move us to deeper affection, to deeper obedience. So let's pray. God, we wait on you, Holy Spirit. And we say, Lord, God, I say, Lord, you are worth everything, God. You've given it all, and you're worth it all, Father. We love you, Lord. You're beautiful, God.
And I pray right now for, the, for people this morning, I pray that you would reveal to us in our hearts, God, anything that, that you're calling us to risk, to step out in, or any area that, that may be difficult to surrender, Lord. I pray also for those this morning, God, who have been wounded, who have been wounded by a teaching about works theology, Lord, who've thought they would earn something. God, heal hearts today, Jesus. Heal hearts today by the grace of your, your unmerited, unearned affection and favor and approval of us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen.